Good morning and welcome. You've got Miss Sarah Myers, Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care. We're going to talk to you about, uh, I guess, current events in history, if you will. Um, if you're not a student of history, and I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a student of history, Sarah, would you consider yourself a student of history? Absolutely not, but I do love history. So I'm not going to get like way old school on you, but I want to have a little bit of a back and forth this morning. Because if we don't pay attention to events that happened previously and learn from those, we're doomed to... Repeat them. Repeat them. Yep. Yeah, we're going to make the same mistakes. And I feel like we're kind of at a, a crossroads in in everything that's going on. And there's a lot that's going on. Um, I'm not a financial advisor, nor am I a financial expert, but I think that's part of it, along with the supply chain as well. So... We're going to stray. I'm going to try and keep it into the car realm today, but uh, there's some lessons to be learned here. So, um, 2008, Sarah, what were you doing in 08? I was like a middle schooler. Middle schooler. Wow. I'm pretty sure I was in middle school. So, I was already well into my career (laughs) and an adult uh, back then, which is super cool. I think that lends a good insight to what you remember about that time. Do you know why I'm bringing up 2008? I have a feeling we're going to talk about crashes and inflation. So preface that with, I'm not a gloom and doom or a negative person. Would you say that's an accurate statement about me? Oh, yeah. You're a pretty positive guy. Uh, Yeah. You very seldom really see me get down too much. And I really view, and and I want to preface that by, I get my butt handed to me from time to time and bad things happen, right? It happens to all of us. Yeah. But I view those, even sometimes the really crummy things, and, you know, a lot of folks are all, woe is me, and, you know, it, everybody's against me, and they're a victim, and, and whatnot. And I just, I don't have, I don't understand that. I view those things as a lesson. And they've taught me a lot of things over the years. So, so if 08, you were in middle school, um, 2000, end of 2005, 06, you were probably in grade school then. Mm-hmm. So that was the year of the ice storm here in in Missouri. Do you recollect much of that? I do because we were out of power for quite a few yes. days. We yeah. were out in the country. Yep. So we that was not fun. 11 days if I remember that. Oh gosh. So that initially, have you ever heard and coined or not coined? I guess heard the term one is none and two is one. Have you ever heard that? I term? have. Actually, we use that term here in the media uh-huh. world. Ah, okay. Yep. So the the end of 05, 06, that was kind of at the very end of the year. My daughter was born December 27th, which was the beginning of that ice storm. So that was a big event for me in general. She was my first child. And um, so we brought her home and had no power oh, in the middle gosh. of an ice storm. That's awful. I was doing roadside diesel mobile service then. So I had a very large generator and welder on my truck, which was very thankful but that situation, and, and we've had a lot of time. She's turning 15 this year, so that's been a day or two since we had that ice storm, and a lot of people forget that stuff. But it taught me to be a little bit more prepared. You know, I didn't want to, back then, even if you had a generator and you went to get fuel, a lot of the gas stations didn't have power to pump it. And, you know, so candles, oil lamps, food, um, you know, we were all pretty much just shopping by the day when you needed it, you know, and I think there's a lot of folks out there that have been doing that. And now we've run into this, uh, supply chain shortage. 
Have you been paying attention to how many boats are off the coast of... Uh, I saw that. California? Yeah, the, the port of LA, I think, is where it is yeah. or somewhere in that vicinity. There is a ton of them. So normal, under normal circumstances, there's anywhere from like one to three boats waiting to be unloaded or, or shipping freighters, I guess would be the right term. Um, and there's anywhere from, I think, uh, 18,000 to 25,000 shipping uh, containers on each one of those boats. Is that not crazy? That is pretty insane. So do you have anything on order right now that you just haven't gotten? Thankfully, I don't. Wow. That's awesome. Um, I am not that guy. I, <laughs> <laughs> You know, in the parts world, a lot of our parts come from overseas. Right. And we had one here. It was a late model F-150. A gentleman had uh, bought it, and the previous owner had a programmer on it, which is, you know, the plug-in and get more fuel economy and power, which for the most part's garbage, by the way. Um, but it corrupted the files inside the computer, the powertrain control module. So we were almost two months waiting on a, a computer for this guy's truck. And it was because of those shipping shortages, as we're seeing now. Have you Have you noticed, so if... The normal is one to five shipping freighters. Um, we set a record a few months ago, 40 freighters, I think two months ago, was waiting to be unloaded. We broke that record, I think, like the very next week, 48, then I think 52. As of yesterday morning when I checked, and there you can view it online if, if you know where to look, there were 70 freighters. Oh, my gosh. There's so many freighters waiting to be offloaded. Now, this is not gloom and doom. I'm going to give you some silver lining here in a minute. But you got to be aware. I, you know, a lot of folks, you know, stick their head in the sand or in their phone. And I want to be informed. So I want to know how to deal best with this, not just for me, but for my folks out there that were fixing their cars. And, you know, we're pulling out all the stops as far as our shops. Our service advisors are doing a heck of a good job making sure to solve these supply chain problems for everybody. But um, so it takes uh, one to three days to offload each freighter. So they're they're like months out right now. They're talking to get through some of those, maybe 20 days, 30 days to get some of those in. All of the um, anchor points are full. And I think there was better than 20 just floating offshore waiting for one of the anchor points to be full. Or, or free, rather. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. I'll have to put a photo up so everybody yeah. can see what we're talking about. I'll put that as our cover photo that would be on awesome. today's podcast. And, you know, I don't want this to all be, you know, a negative kind of influence. This is reality. This is what we're dealing with right now. And so I don't want to just have to say, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I want to say, hey, this is what's going on. We're waiting on it. We expect it here. If we get, you know, if we have to push that time frame back, that's fine. But here's why I'm bringing all this up. Um, you know, everybody's kind of at this weird, funky point, if you will, that there's a little bit of uneasiness kind of floating around. And the uneasiness comes from lack of knowing or lack of good information or accurate information. If you're getting all your news from, you know, just the, the big, you know, whatever you want to call them, talking heads, if you will, um, you know, you're not going to be informed is the bottom line. And right now we live in a day and age that information, if you choose to look for it, is out there. 
And that's kind of what I want to be. I want to be informed. And all of you that I meet in the shops pretty much on a daily basis are a similar mindset. You want to be informed. You want to be prepared. You don't want to be caught out of left field. Um, so I brought up the ice storm. That was kind of the tipping point for me as an adult to say, Hey, this is a life experience and I'm not going to chalk it up to the great depression, but there's a little bit of a parody there. If you talk to anybody that lived through the great depression that changed them from that point through the rest of their lives. I mean, there's some, some old timers over the years that I have had the opportunity to talk to and actively listen. Now that's a key point there. They shared, you know, they saved used aluminum foil and reused it, or, you know, they never threw anything away. Now, I don't want to be that hoarder person. Don't get me wrong there. But I want to pull it out there that, look, if you don't pay attention to events that occurred, maybe we did something good there. Maybe we didn't. And if we didn't do something good, you know, what do we do differently this time? That's kind of where I'm coming from today. So in years past... As events change, so the Lehman Brothers collapsed in, I think, 2008-ish. I'm not a financial guy, so don't quote me on that, but it's close. So that was kind of a big thing stock market-wise. I was in the automotive field at that time. I was doing this professionally. I've been doing this almost 20 years professionally now. So I've had the opportunity to go through some boom times and some bust times, some reasonable fuel prices and some inflated fuel prices. Um, And this is really my first supply chain shortage, I guess, if you will. Um, And they can chalk it up and blame it on a whole bunch of things, but none of that really is relevant to how I'm going to approach this or we are going to approach this, not only as a company, but as a community as well. You know, forever, everybody talks about that just-in-time inventory. And for the most part, I have really benefited, along with all of you out there, that if I needed a part, I could get it, if not multiple versions of it, almost immediately. And I love that. That's awesome. Now, as the world has changed, I've talked many shows about the parts quality diluting and you really having to be careful of what you choose to put on your vehicle. Now, the reason I care at all about this is because my main focus as a technician, as a service advisor, as a store manager, and I'm basically speaking on behalf of our entire team, is we want to keep you going. We want to keep you moving. If you need to go to the store because they have inventory right now, you hit your keys, you go to the store, it works as intended. If you need to take the kids to school, the kids to the doctor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it will happen. And when it doesn't happen, it's a big deal in your life. I know it is in mine. Personally, I typically like to have a backup vehicle for our family. And there's a lot of you out there that share that same philosophy. And a a big part of that came from when the fuel prices went way up Your older V8 gas guzzlers, if you will, they wouldn't give you any trade-in, so a lot of you out there kept those. Or you went and bought a new vehicle when uh, when you could buy vehicles at that point in time, and the interest rate was good, and you still kept your backup vehicle. I have a ton of families that we service the entire family, multiple generations, 
And a lot of you keep a backup car. So I know I'm talking to several folks that understand where I'm coming from. And if you don't keep a backup car, it is an expense, but it is amazing the freedom that that gives. And a lot of what we're going to talk about the rest of the show is how we maintain and keep our freedom. And I'm not talking about tyranny from government. I'm just talking about, look, we live in a very free world. We want to make sure that we're prepared if things start to contract. But we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Did you grow up on a tractor? Did you daddy Welcome back. You You've got Miss Sarah Myers, Dustin Howard, A1 Custom Car Care, talking about some current events. Sarah, were you able to find what we were looking for out there? I did, yeah. And I'll link a photo of this map. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is just so many dots. And there, <laughs> That's crazy. I don't understand these boats out here, like further out into the ocean. And you said that it, it could take months to unload these. Yeah, they're Are, talking each one, you know, two to three days to unload each shipping freighter. And I'm sure they have multiple cranes unloading those. Um, but they're also having issues um, because of the constrictions of the ability or the okay to work in that state. And you all can understand where that's coming from. Um, the, the truck drivers, those that is not a 24-hour port, by the way, um, nor will they allow it to be. So the truck drivers are doing what they can, but they're limited or they're restrained. The uh, port or dock workers are limited and restrained. Um, they're running on a skeleton crew, if you will. Um, so, yeah, where were you able to find that? Is If somebody wants to keep tabs on that, can can we put that out there? Yeah, I'll link it on our podcast okay. at ksgf.com. But if you want to find it right now, it's called freightwaves.com. Mm-hmm. And the title of the article is just how many containers of cargo are stuck off California's wow. coast. That's insane. So riddle me this here. Uh how much um, seasonal merchandise do you think's on there? So, you're a fan of Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. How many Halloween decorations do you think are going to be stuck in port that are not going to make it to the stores oh, this probably year? Probably a ton. Yeah. Well, I heard somewhere on national news a couple of weeks ago that they're suggesting that we go Christmas shopping already yeah. because they're afraid of shortages. Yes. Yeah. It is, and I think that's a real deal. So, anybody that's, you know, the, there's always that hot toy or excuse me, hot game system or, or whatever it is, you better start now because, you know, I'm sure there's a ton on those freighters there that are waiting to come ashore. Uh, but there's going to be Christmas decorations that come in late. There's going to be Halloween, Thanksgiving decorations. So what does that mean to us? Or what is, what's kind of, I guess I mean to me, you know, I don't want to put it out there and speak for everybody. When that inventory comes to the store, they're going to have to pretty much mark it down and sell it for almost nothing because it's going to be late. They make profits on that inventory because it's seasonal, right? So before Halloween, that's a boom for a lot of the stores. Before Thanksgiving, that's a boom for a lot of the stores. Um, I've even heard they're talking about uh, turkeys, you know, being hard to get for Thanksgiving this year. So... I'm not sharing this with you guys for gloom and doom. Yeah, this is kind of a negative, but for every negative, there's a positive, right? If we're informed and looking for it, if we just play the victim card or the, you know, uneducated card, it's not going to do us any good. I can't do that when you come in for service. And I won't do that. If I don't know, I'll flat out say, look, I don't know. Give me some time. Let me get to the bottom of it. And that's what we do as a company. And I'm very, very proud of that. And I'm expanding that thought process out a little bit. But this is kind of my game plan in general as I move through life. It's like, hey, 
How do we watch and see those troubling times coming and get ready for them? And then as that stuff comes in, and because that's what's going to happen. Stores are going to hit order, 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 and they're not going to cancel all the previous orders. And so eventually all this is going to come in waves. I've said it. I think, Sarah, you and I talked about it maybe a couple weeks ago. Um, they have built a lot of these cars, trucks, vans, SUVs that don't have chips, um, you know, we're going on a year and a half now when the chips do come in, they're going to put them in, they're going to put them on transports. They're going to flood them out to the dealerships. And those cars are going to be a year or two old, brand new. Sarah, if you could get a good deal on a brand new car that was a year or two old, would you be interested? Oh, in that? absolutely. So that's where I'm talking about, about, you know, looking at the big picture, you know, taking the view back. Uh, I'm hoping as well, you know, heck, I want to buy a new pickup one of these days. Uh, I'm not opposed to that. I hope you, and I know a lot of you out there are not opposed to that either, but I sure don't want to pay fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 for the caliber of truck that I'm looking for. And whatever it is you end up deciding, I know we're kind of still working through that, which is a really cool place to be. I hope you enjoy the, the hunt of the vehicle for you. Um, but that's kind of a, you know, if we are smart and prepared, your money's in order, your credit's in order. When that good deal comes up, boom, that's you, right? Yeah. And pull the trigger that day. Exactly. You're going to be rolling on, um, and in a good, a good space. However, if we didn't pay attention to kind of what's going on in your life, you're going through some cool stuff, new homeowner, you and Ryan, that's cool out in the country. That's cool too. Your car is in good shape now, still getting you from point A to point B. We're taking care of business. But we know that long term, you know, you can make those plans versus, you know, what unfortunately, and I've been there, a lot of people like get in a bind. They like have to go to a dealer and they have to buy a car today. Well, who's who's got the power in that in in that dynamic? Who's definitely not the buyer yeah who's calling the shots there yeah you're you're basically just having to be like okay man please don't take too much advantage of me and that's not a fun place to be for anybody nobody and a lot of times that happens because we didn't pay attention to the signs early enough and and that that applies to what we're talking about now as well so the vehicles that they made if you if you google or or look on whatever search engine you want to look on what the most dependable vehicles are that are out there. It's typically mid 2000s on up to maybe 2012 to 2015. So if you've got a vehicle in that range, those are really, really dependable vehicles and worth fixing. We're fixing stuff. uh, I shouldn't even put this out there because some of it I don't even want to be fixing. But, you know, we're having people show up with, you know, late 90s, mid 90s vehicles um, that are still on the road and still doing good because they have been cared for and we're kind of bringing them back to a dependable level. So what would be a tipping point for you that you decide that, hey, it's time for a vehicle? I think that when the cost of fixing it mm-hmm. is greater than the actual worth of it. So let me let me ask you, how much trust or faith do you have that in your vehicle right now that if you go out there right now and need to go somewhere, it's going to do what it needs to. It's pretty good. Yeah. 
And when it's not working or it gives you fits is usually where I see people just be like, nope, I'm done. (laughs) And so if you get at a point where, you know, you don't, if you lose faith in the vehicle, maybe you've had it in the shop two or three times, or maybe you're a high end do it yourself, or you've tried to fix it two or three times. Um, I think about, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we went through vehicles and it was always the point that people lost faith in the vehicle. It does come down to the money part of it. You're exactly right. But right now, if people love their vehicle and they own it outright, they've already paid taxes on it. You know, they've got all the or taken all the big hits on it. Um, the point normally is where they're like, dude, I just don't I don't think this thing's going to get me where I need to go. That's the point that's usually that deal breaker. I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm out. And that's a tough spot to be in. You have no bargaining power at that point. And I don't want anybody to be in that boat. I sure as heck don't want to. So if you are going to buy a new vehicle or a new-to-you vehicle, that's typically what I do. Um, and it's not that I'm opposed to new vehicles, especially right now, because you're not taking a depreciation hit. That vehicle is going to hold its value. And I think realistically, we're probably a year to a year and a half before some of that starts to change back the other way. And, you know, your vehicle's going to last a year and a half, two years, three years. You're in good shape with it. So that's that's a good spot to be in. But in the meantime, if you run onto a deal, you're going to have your new rig. That's pretty cool. So as these um, shipping things continue to be a pain in the butt for everybody, and it's not just us in the automotive field, what are we doing about it? Well, we're staying informed, number one. And because we are such a solvent company, A1 Custom as a, as a, as a whole community, we have had and are in such good standing with so many different vendors, we have a lot of options that most people don't have. And that's a big, powerful thing to have, and our folks are able to utilize it. And I'm going to share some insider information out there. There's a lot of shops that don't um, network and keep those lines of options open, and honestly, that don't take care of their vendors very well. So they maybe don't have as many options to buy from as a shop that does. And what I mean by that is they won't pay their bills on time. And so they get on hold. And as a technician, when I would go and interview, and it's been years since I've had to do this. Obviously, I've been at A1 Custom for a long time now. But there are many shop owners out there that do a great job taking care of their vendors because they understand the importance of the supply chain that we're talking about today. However, there's a lot of folks out there that don't. And so as I would interview, one of the biggest things that I was concerned about is, hey, if I need parts, can I get them? Do you have cars? Are they coming in on a regular basis? Do you have a lot of repeat business? So the interview process goes both directions. And when I chose to come to work at A1 Custom so many years ago, I had four interviews and I had three offers already on the table by the time I sat down with A1 Custom. And when I sat down with them, this uh, ability to get equipment, get parts, stay relevant in the business, and their longevity of employees. I was working with Troy. You you know our Troy out there, don't you? Um, Troy's been with us over 30 years. His personal truck, we're doing quite a bit of work to it. We're actually doing an engine on it. It was at 480,000 miles before he needed to do some major work on that truck. So that's what I'm talking about. That was the allure of A1 Custom. But we're down at the bottom of the hour. 
you're in luck because I got plenty to talk about. And so does Miss Sarah right after the break. Welcome back. You've got Miss Sarah Dustin here in the studio. We are going to turn it over to Sarah for a moment. She is going to run through one of our listeners that has, she kind of prepped me off air, so I already have kind of an idea what she's going to talk about. But I am super stoked about this question slash topic, if you will. So, Sarah, what's what do we got over there? Well, poor Titus. He needs some help here, and hopefully you can help yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. This is what he says. I bought an O2 Buick LeSabre 3.8 liter off of an individual back in January with only 123,000 miles. To my surprise, this thing has been a wallet-draining lemon. A warning to Sarah and others looking for a used vehicle. This was over $2,000 worth of repairs done to my car at a Napa and O'Reilly repair centers by the previous owners, which was a great selling point for them and for me, the buyer. But even with less than 10,000 miles on it now, none of the work or even parts are transferable to me, the new owner. I already have had to eat a CV axle and many other things. This, however, is not the main reason for contacting you. I have so far flushed every fluid the vehicle has except the coolant, which leads to my question. It appears to have stop leak or something in it because it is a little dark slash rusty looking. When removing the cap on the radiator, I have found and removed, quote, skin-like what forms on top of unstirred gravy. The reservoir is nasty too, but, quote, no skin. It is also of the green type coolant, not the pink Dex Cool that it came factory with. I have ran two Prestone radiator flush slash cleaners for about 3,000 miles and have now drained, removed the thermostat, flushed with garden hose and refilled with water and added blue devil flush this time. After about a tank of gas, I plan to flush once more and refill my coolant for the winter and hopefully be able to call it good. My question for you is, do I refill it with the proper Dex Cool coolant, or should I stick with the inferior green that has been in it for no telling how long? I am very concerned about a chemical reaction known as passivation that occurs when switching coolants and do not want any long-term problems. This car has been keeping me busy enough with all of the short-term problems. Also, the heater core surprisingly does not appear to be plugged. Back in the super cold snowstorm we had in February, it blew great warm air. Are my coolant problems symptoms of passivation? Your thoughts, please. Sarah, that is awesome. Well done. I appreciate you reaching out and being able to to get that into our show. So that's super cool. And I appreciate it. And also, real quick, before you get into answering Mm -hmm. the question, if you have any questions that you have for me or Dustin, you can always shoot us a message on the talk or text line. That's 447-5743. Or you can do uh, like Titus did. You can send me an email. It's pretty easy. Sarah.Myers at KSGF.com. Sarah is with an H and Myers is M-Y-E-R-S. Perfect. Well, I'm going to have a little bit of long-winded uh, he did a awesome job kind of laying it out there, his plan of attack. I could not be uh, more in line with this thought process. So when you buy a used vehicle, you have to understand that a lot of times you are going to be saddled with any of the pre-existing conditions that had happened before. And I'm going to get real specific on the coolant, but I want to cover kind of this entire process. So um, as far as like the base vehicle, that you selected, I think the foundation or that vehicle is a great candidate for buying secondhand or third or whatever, getting a used vehicle. Typically, those 3,800s have been really well refined, and they're a good, dependable engine. 
I realize maybe you got some curveballs thrown at you, and I'll explain those in a minute because a lot of folks don't know why you're in this boat, and I'll and I'll get to that. So I love the vehicle. The fact that somebody else had had it in and had some service done, I definitely see as a positive. It is a bummer deal that it doesn't transfer, and, and unfortunately that's how a lot of those situations are. But just having the documentation that XYZ has been done is great. The point that I want to caution is there's a lot of when you buy it at a, at a dealership somewhere, they try and sell you a extended warranty. And I cannot express this enough. We do work with them. We do deal with them. But it is as far as for you, the consumer, they're rubbish. It is a it is a theft in most cases, in my opinion, where they want twelve, fourteen, eighteen hundred, two grand, and then when they come in for service, they try and dictate that we put the crappiest parts on there. They don't pay for this. They don't want this done, and that's not how we do business. So we get them to pay as much as possible, but the customer still is saddled with the rest of it that the warranty company has led you to believe that they're going to be there when you need them, and they're not. So in my recommendation is that you don't buy the extended warranty. You get a good pre-purchase inspection done by somebody that you trust, or if you're capable of doing it, that's awesome too. But for the most part, those extended warranties are junk. So please don't fall victim to several thousands of dollars that they're not going to live up to. The only way that extended warranty company makes any money is hustling you out of paying as little as possible when you do have a repair problem. Okay, so I digress. That's very important. I hope that rang a bell with at least one person out there. As we move on to Titus's issue, um, changing the fluids is one of my very biggest things that we do as a company. Um, we call it a vitals evaluation. No different than when you go into the doctor, they check your heart rate, they check your blood pressure, they check your temperature. If you don't do that first and you go hanging parts on things or making diagnosis from the doctor side of it, you're making an informed decision instead of an, uh, an ill-informed decision instead of an informed decision. So I don't want to do any work to any vehicle until I've assessed the fluids because that will give me so much information. And typically they're well past their service life and they will cause uh, large unexpected repairs. So great call there. Definitely your money ahead for getting those in a much better condition than you bought it. Specifically to your coolant. So that car came out equipped with Dexcool. That was a new organic-based coolant that nobody really got educated on, even at the factory level, quick enough. So that coolant is extremely good coolant if you take care of it or deal with it in the manner that it was engineered. So Dexcool is typically that pink or orange coolant, as you referenced. You did a great job spelling all this out there, Titus. When you add either undistilled water or a glycol base, which would be the green coolant to it, they chemically react and they create almost a jelly or a gelatin in the system that gums up the system. So... Somebody over the years of whoever owned that vehicle or was servicing it, and I hope it wasn't at a professional service center, didn't understand that, and they mixed the two coolants. Okay? 
I've seen that, if not hundreds of thousands of times over the years, over the last 20 years. This is the bulk of my career. And as I got into the industry, everybody had such a negative viewpoint on uh, um, Dexcool because they were having these issues. But it was ignorance in the service sector or as the consumer dealt with the coolant. So what I did is we had a relationship with Valvoline, and I went out to Valvoline's world headquarters, which is in Lexington, Kentucky, and talked to the engineers that develop and make the coolant. And I said, hey, why is this stuff garbage? They're like, it's not garbage. It's some of the best coolant out there. But if you put an organic-based coolant with a a chemical-based glycol coolant or a mineral-rich undistilled water, it will attack, and what you're seeing is that coolant being killed, essentially, and turning into gelatin. Now, I know I'm speaking specifically to Titus here, but there are a ton of you out there that are still driving these vehicles that need to know this. Glycol is a great coolant for vehicles that are you know early to mid-90s and older. Dexcool started coming in probably in the early to mid-90s, and it's in not only GM cars, but most vehicles out there today. So the old green coolant is going to be for old cars. I do not recommend going with the old green coolant in anything that's going to be probably early to mid-90s and older. You need to get the factory fill coolant, as well as it must have distilled water. Um, I know everybody's got a tap out there. You think, oh, why am I going to buy 50-50 coolant and buy, uh, you know, and pay for 50% water when I can get it for free? As a company in A1 Custom, we buy premixed coolant for a reason. Because I have worked on cars so long, uh, and honestly, I did it wrong early on my personal vehicles, and I was having these issues. And when I got into the professional world and started getting a real education, I stopped having those issues because I elected the correct chemistry. So, Titus, to answer your question, flushing the system the way you've done it is spot on and perfect. That's how I or we as a company would have done it. And we would have done multiple flushes to get all that uncompatible chemistry out of there. So getting a good base of water in there is perfect. I would recommend... Exactly like you did, pulling the thermostat out, good flush, make sure and get all that uh, gelatin out as much as possible as well, and then refilling with a factory-filled Dexcool coolant. Now, as much of the debris as you can get out of the overflow tank, as much as you can get out of the block, the radiator, heater core, etc., long-term, um, you're going to be in a good spot. So, Hopefully, I think we we fit all that in there. Titus, if you have any more questions, please reach out, and I'll do my very best like we did here today. Miss Sarah will bring me in the ballpark, and we'll get them answered. But we need to take one more break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Hopefully that long-winded answer helped at least a few people, Titus included out there. That was awesome. So, Miss Sarah, you said you needed some car stuff. What do you What do you need on your car? I do. Well, I went and got my oil changed not too terribly long mm-hmm. ago, and I had also asked for a tire rotation because yep. I could not remember the last time I had done one. Mm-hmm. So I thought it's kind of like a tetanus shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. you can't remember last time you, you did it. it. Yep. Yep. So. Um, 
one of the great guys over there at A1 said, mm, I don't think we can do that because yeah. you're really in need of two front tires. And I think that that is because of the way that my car is situated when it comes to its front wheel drive. Yep. It, it's not uncommon. I will share with you something that nobody's going to really love to hear. Um, I realize regardless of what uh, any of the big talking head news folks are telling us, um, inflation is real, un- unfortunately. And I get an email sometimes a few times a week from our tire distributor saying, hey, order your tires now, order your tires now, order your tires now, because I've seen them go up. Eh, it started $4, $6, $15 times two or four. That adds up in a hurry. Yeah. Now, thankfully, you're in a little bit better boat. You've got a smaller tire. And in um, uh, this is a blanket statement. So don't hold me to this. Um, it's going to be a case-by-case basis. But typically, excuse me, passenger car tires are going to be less expensive than big, heavy truck tires. So that's good. So you're not going to be as affected. If they do a, a percentage increase on passenger car tires, it's going to be less effective than somebody that's driving a 10-ply truck tire that some of those tires are 200 bucks a piece. And if they go up 20%, that's a big deal, right? So I'm not gloom and doom and everybody, but I'm being real out there. If you need tires um, for in the next year and a half to two years, A, you need to plan for them, and B, sooner than later is better. So Mike out at our Republic shop, Mike and Gunner, both of them absolute tire rock stars. Macy Mallory at Sunset, and then um, we have a, a, a new young lady, Miss Amanda, and David at our Sunset location. They truly know what they're doing, and they're going to give you the best information as possible for the best tire that fits you. It's not always just about cost. Cost is important, but I have seen folks um, buy the cheap tires other places that say they're a 40,000-mile tire, and they get like 10,000 miles out of them in their junk. You talk about being mad. If you buy tires and it only gets you 10,000 miles, think how long it takes, Sarah, how long does it take you to drive 10,000 miles? Uh, quite a bit. But you know what? I have a crazy tire story and you are going to love it. Tell me. Okay. So one time, I, I won't mention where I got them from, but okay. I got them from, uh, not you guys. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I'm glad to hear that. So uh, I just needed one tire replaced. I had gotten a nail or mm-hmm. something in it and... I just, I needed one tire. So I went to this uh, one shop and I told them, hey, this is the tire I need. They gave me the quote for the price. And so I was like, okay, here's my car keys. There you go. Yeah. Anyways, I waited and waited and waited. And it was like an hour later. And I'm like, what is taking them this long? There wasn't that many cars in the stalls. Mm -hmm. And there was not a lot of people in front of me. What's it taking? Why is it taking so long? So I go back there. And they're like, oh, yeah, your car's finished. And I had realized that they had changed all three tires that I didn't need and left the one that I did need. What? Yeah. So. What? How does that even happen? I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, needless to say, I got four tires for the price of one. And and. You know, they deserved that. And I I mean, I know like, it's like, wow, that's pretty awesome. I was so mad. It didn't even matter that they yeah. were like, okay, well, you get four tires for one. Yeah. Even though they, they did that, they were still, wow. And I get it. Things happen. We are not perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. But wow. You talk, and so Sarah, how many shows have we done on effective communication over the years? Uh, quite a few. And that's what that comes down to. Like that's immediately in my head. I'm like, okay. So-and-so didn't know their job. 
they didn't do their job, obviously. They didn't communicate their job effectively to the folks doing it. The folks doing it were not empowered enough to say, hey, this doesn't make any sense. I guarantee if I walked out with a ticket to Jim, who takes care of business, Jim's been with us over 30 years, and handed him that ticket at sunset, he would be like, no, this doesn't make any sense. He's empowered enough and is a professional technician that he wants to do what's best for the customer in the car as well. He's going to ask some questions. And I'm totally fine with that. I have zero concerns about any of our guys or gals coming up and saying, hey, what's going on? There's a better option here. And apparently you, nobody made any decisions there. Well, and here's the crazy part. The technician came outside with me so I could show him the issue that I had. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And then he went to the computer and filled it all out. And then he was like, okay, this is, you know, it should only take us about such and such minutes. Huh. And I was like, okay, sounds great. So it was just sheer incompetence yeah, at that point. It, it was definitely a lack of communication oh somewhere. Gosh. That's crazy. So, you know, from that point forward, I guarantee, and, and we deal with this a lot, that that didn't build trust in the automotive industry with you, Sarah, I'm sure. <laughs> Definitely not. You know, it's like, really, is every shop like this? And so the next one you go to, you're like, well, are these a bunch of shady? You know, are, you know, can they tie their own shoes? You know, do they wear slip-on shoes so they don't have to tie them? You know what I mean? And I'm being a little dramatic on this deal, but we deal with it a lot. And I, I have to kind of check myself sometimes. You know, again, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We deal with them. We learn from them. We go on. But customers will come in and they'll be like, I don't want to say like difficult, but their their walls are built up so much because of a prior experience. They're like, I want to see the old ones. I want to watch you do this. I want to this or that. And, you know, in the early stages of my career, like I was like, why is that? Well, now I know it's because somebody's kind of screwed them over at one point in time and they don't have any trust. Now, now that I realize that, and, and we do as a company, this is part of our training. Um, you know, we identify that early and those are some of my most challenging ones. But once I win them over, they're some of my biggest loyal allies and they are kind of, I don't want to say our cheerleaders, but they tell everybody about us. That's me. Yes. I can't tell you how many people the last couple of days that I have sent to you guys. And I think that they're they're really excited. I know that for sure we have somebody here in in the building that actually stopped in before the show and they thanked you so much for helping them out and they can't wait to get their vehicle serviced by you because they trust you. And, And I take that so seriously. But it excites me a little bit. Like even as I sit here, I, you know, I can't help but grin, you know, and whatnot. And it's not because of that. I don't, I don't want any of the accolades. I couldn't care. I get my jazz out of being able to solve that problem and fix and do it at a very high level what people depend on. If I leave here right now, and I hope I don't jinx myself, and my truck doesn't start, it's going to be a bummer for me today, right? I don't want that for anybody else. I've had that. I've experienced it over the years. I've had catastrophic failures. And that always builds my mindset of, hey, how to how to prevent that. And that's what we do as a company. And thankfully, I'm surrounded by such an amazing group of folks that feel that same way. You know, our shop truck, we have an in-house like service truck. It's almost 400,000 miles. I've got multiple vehicles over 400,000, 350,000, etc. And I'm not 
putting that out there as this is, you know, oh, so great, blah, blah, blah. It's you could be a part of that too. Think about if you didn't have to make a car payment, et cetera, pay insurance, pay taxes, and you could get 200,000 miles out of your vehicle. That's not a high number. So maybe you could get 300, 400 dependable and confident miles out of your vehicle. That's a big deal. So our pulling rig or our, that we pull our camper with has got 349,000 miles on it. And I'm planning to hook it on and pull it to Florida here in the next year or two. A lot of folks wouldn't be able to do that with confidence, and I'm okay with that. It, it It's not that I have put a ton of money or time and effort in it. We've just maintained it over the years and it's had a good cared for life. And I didn't let it get to the point where it was so far gone that I lost faith in it. That's really important. And when you buy a used vehicle, a lot of times you're buying a vehicle that somebody lost faith in and they just continue to drive it and neglect it. And you're buying that kind of neglected vehicle and you're starting from behind the line of scrimmage. And you need to be aware of that. Negotiate that in the price. Make sure you're on the front side of that negotiation. And prepare for that because in the in the beginning of it, you're going to have an expense. But once you get over that hump, you're going to have a lot of trouble-free miles. Sarah, I enjoy this every week. This show was awesome. Oh, yeah. It's always tons of fun. It really is. Now, if you guys out there, if you have questions, it doesn't matter how big or small, you can give us a text, 447-5743. You can also reach out to us on our Facebook page, 1041KSGF, or you can send me an email, sarah.myerskSGF.com. If you go to KSGF.com, you'll see my email everywhere. So if you don't know how to spell Sarah or Myers. (laughs) I hope you you guys have a good weekend. Bye. Bye.